I've just finished all my baking. I am the best baker in the village, and I need to do a lot to make sure there's enough for everyone who wants some of my bread. And we'd worked hard, my son and I, with the early morning um, baking and, and got that out of the way. And then he'd gone off with his lunch and his friends and I'd carried on because there was a lot of people coming through our village today and, well, they weren't all going up out to the fields to work, that was for certain. They were off after that storyteller, Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Well, I knew none of them had been prepared. They hadn't taken any food with them. They, they were just thinking of getting there and hearing the stories. So I baked and I baked and I baked and I baked all day so that there was enough when they came down off that hill and they'd have enough to eat. They could buy my bread because mine is the best bread. Anyway, nobody was coming down off this hill and I'd finished all the baking I could do. I'd used all the ingredients that I had. So I thought I'd walk up and, and see if I could meet some of them. So I started off up the hill, <coughs> listening out to hear if I could, I could hear the stories. But it wasn't quiet like I thought it would be with everybody listening. There was a hum and a murmur and, a, and as if everybody was chatting together. And there was laughing and... I went round the corner, and there they all were, sitting in big groups, having a picnic. Well, I knew they'd not taken stuff up there. I saw them all going through. They weren't carrying their lunch. They weren't carrying their tea. So I walked over to one group, and it was my neighbour. She was sitting there. She said, come over here. She said, have some of this bread. This is the best bread I've ever tasted. I was not impressed. Mine is the best bread she has ever tasted. What is she eating? So I, I asked her, well, where, where did you get this? Who, who brought this bread? And she said, well, I don't know. Does it matter? I got it from one of Jesus' friends over there, look. Well, it matters to me because mine is the best bread and she's saying this is the best bread. So I followed where she was pointing and I could see Jesus' friend over there. So, right, I'll, I'll go and ask him then. She said, stop here, have some. There's more than enough. No, no, I wanted to know where this bread was coming from. So I went over to Jesus's friend and in the group where he was dishing out some food was one of my cousins. My cousin said, come over here, have some of this bread. This is the best bread I have ever tasted. I was not impressed. My bread was the best bread that she had ever tasted. Where did you get it, I said. Where did it come from? Who brought this bread? I don't know, she said. Does it matter? I got it from Jesus' friend. There's plenty here. Come and have some. So I asked Jesus' friend, where did you get this bread? Oh, he said, Jesus gave it to me and told me to hand it out. He's over there. So I looked over and I thought, right, I'm going to find out. And I walked over to where Jesus was. Well, when I get up to the group where Jesus is, there's my son standing next to him. And my son said, Mum, come and have some of this bread. It's the best bread I've ever tasted. No, I thought. 
What do you mean it's the best bread you've ever tasted? Where is his loyalty? Well, he said, this is the bread you gave me for my packed lunch. What? I said, well, it can't be. Look, they're all eating it. No, he said, it was really good. He said, I didn't eat my lunch. I was too busy listening to the stories. He said, and then Jesus said everybody was hungry and nobody had any food. But he said, I had some. So I, I gave it to Jesus, his friend, and he gave it to Jesus. And Jesus said a prayer and, and then he dished it out to everybody. Oh, my goodness. Well, you can imagine. My chin hit the floor. My bread. <sighs> Feeding all these people. So much. And then Jesus looked over at me and smiled. And he offered me a piece of bread. Well, suddenly, it didn't matter where the bread had come from. It didn't matter whether my bread was the best in the village. It only mattered that it was good enough for Jesus. And that was more than enough. Many of you know, will know that we've been looking for a leader for PMA, a pleasant Monday afternoon, a, a Monday afternoon activity for mainly older people, can I say that? Uh, and Celia felt that God laid it on her heart to, to volunteer to take this on. And, uh, the, uh, yeah, is that a report from somebody? Are they here? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That was more or less the response from the church meeting when we took your, your name to the church meeting as well, Celia. Wholehearted, unanimous, enthusiastic relief, I think is probably <laughs> and, and unqualified endorsement. So we are delighted that you've, you've agreed to take this on. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask the church a question. They're going to ask God a question, okay? So just, 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 to, just to reaffirm, are you willing, in dependence upon God, in partnership with us and with the Holy Spirit, to take on the responsibility of the leadership of PMA and give people a pleasant Monday afternoon here at Brighton Road? And you've already applauded, but can I ask you formally to say, do you accept and welcome Celia as the leader of PMA? Do you undertake to support her, encourage her, and uphold her in prayer and work in partnership with her in these coming months and years? If so, would you please say we do? I've asked you, I've asked the church, let's ask God now. Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon Celia? You've laid this upon her heart. Thank you for the enthusiasm you've given her. Thank you for her many years' work with PMA already. Thank you for the relationship that she has with the committee. Pray that you'd help them to adjust to her new role and that you would equip her with everything she needs to serve you in this capacity. Give her strength, give her health, give her wisdom, give her inspiration, the fullness of your spirit. Lord, as you have called her to this, would you equip her to this? Thank you that PMA is one of those organisations that people are willing to bring their friends along. And there, very gently, they come into contact with you, through, through that Monday afternoon event, through the, the fellowship, the enjoyment, uh, and the short uh, Christian element that there is there too. Lord, fill her, equip her, and use her for our blessing and for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Senior, I formally welcome you as the new leader of PMA. Every blessing to you. Thank, Thank you. Jean, I hope you think she's a worthy successor. Bless you for all that you did in the past. Thank you. Have you ever wondered why charity shops are always full of jigsaw puzzles? Well, let me unravel one such puzzle for you. You know how it is, as a child at Christmas, when those very kind, distant relations kindly send a present, but forget that you're a little bit older than you were last year. Well, that's how it was for Mike whose very kind aunt forgot he was 12 and presented him very kindly with a jigsaw. Okay, adults do jigsaws too, but this one was Noah's Ark with 16 pieces. Being very polite, Mike gets on the phone to his aunt. It's a very nice Noah's Ark jigsaw. I love the penguins. But to his mum, he says, Oh, honestly, it's kid stuff. How old does she think I am? I wanted an iPad. Never mind, says mum. I'll take it down the charity shop. Someone will like it there. So when Mrs. Mitchell comes by, there on the shelf it lies. That's a very nice Noah's Ark jigsaw. She cries, I love the penguins. I'll buy it, just in case I have any young visitors to amuse. In any case, it's two pounds and a good cause. Two pounds. She should have gone to Horsham Matters. But then when little Michelle come visit, comes visiting with her dad, there on Mrs. M's shelf it lies. Now Michelle is four, and she doesn't do much. She doesn't say much. And the dad's quite worried about her. And he sees the jigsaw. That's a nice Noah's Ark jigsaw, he says. Look, Michelle, don't you just love the penguins? And what do you know? Michelle gets down on the floor and plays and plays and plays. And to his amazement, she starts to learn and she starts to, to chatter to her friends about the penguins. So thanks to you, kindly, aunt, for giving this present, but who received it? Mike, yes, certainly it was meant for him, but it was pretty irrelevant. And Mrs. N, yes, she was interested enough to pay two pounds and put it on the shelf, just in case. And Michelle, yes, and yes, and yes, playing and probing, sorting, sorting and seeking, hearing it speaking into the silence, unlocking her mind, unblocking her heart, releasing grace, enabling her to discover herself. And how have we received God's gift of Jesus to us? Do we receive it as kindly meant, but actually pretty irrelevant, something we've grown out of, thank you very much. Interesting to be put on the shelf, on the back burner, just in case, perhaps one day. Or welcomed with every fibre of our being as the one who can enable us to discover our true selves. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become God's children. Jesus said, unless you turn and become like children yourselves, you'll never receive the kingdom of God. Our reading is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 
verses 1 to 17. Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If the people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. French Roman Catholic priests... Alfred Loisy once observed that Jesus proclaimed the kingdom, but it was the church that came. Church is a fairly static word, isn't it? The way in which we use it of buildings doesn't help. A building, by definition, never goes anywhere. And yet, even so, the church doesn't really have a dynamic reputation for being a force of anything except resisting change. There's that parody of the hymn, isn't there? Like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. (laughs) Brothers, we are treading where we've often trod. We are much divided, many bodies we. 
having different doctrines, but not much charity. As with all parodies, there's enough truth in it to hurt a little bit. And then there's the perception, at least to an outsider, what does going to church involve? You come in, you sit down, you stand to sing something, you sit down again to listen to someone preach or pray, have a cup of coffee and go home. What's involved in that? It's all pretty passive. You can understand a time and motion expert looking at the church and thinking, okay, where's the output then? But that's where the kingdom comes in. Not talking about the kingdom as in eternal life, though that's part of the package that Jesus brought, but the kingdom making a difference to people's lives and communities here and now. And as you read those opening verses of Luke 9, the dynamic force of the kingdom is clearly apparent. When Jesus sends the twelve out to preach the kingdom of God, they make an impact wherever they go. The sick are healed. Those suffering from demonic oppression are set free. The kingdom makes a difference. It's a dynamic force, not a passive institution. And when the disciples go out, they have to engage with the communities they visit. Because when they turn up in a village looking for somewhere to stay, stay, they've got no overnight bag, they've got nothing to eat, they've got no money to pay for anything, and no spare clothes. They are completely dependent upon the traditional Eastern offer of hospitality to a stranger. And if they're made welcome anywhere, it falls on them to explain the purpose of their journey. To say we've come to share the kingdom of God. To pray for those who are sick. To pray for those who are suffering. To set free those who are undergoing some kind of demonic oppression. And in that way they communicate the good news of the kingdom of God to people by the words they use to speak of the kingdom to the people that they meet. And the words they use when they pray for the people for whom they pray to be healed or to be set free. Their words come with the power of the kingdom. Not their power because they have no resources of their own. And the lesson that Jesus was calling them into the active service in the kingdom is reinforced when they come back for their time off at Bethsaida after a mission trip. They are disturbed by this crowd who follow them there. Jesus welcomes the crowd, tells them about the kingdom of God, gives healing to those in need of it. We don't know what the disciples were doing all this time. Jesus is the busy one. They're probably flaked out somewhere, still recovering from their mission trip. But after this has been going on all day, and it's late in the afternoon... I wonder whether they're getting a little bit peeved that Jesus still seems to have no time for them. Giving all the attention to the crowd. So they said, send all these people away. Let them go and find somewhere to stay and something to eat because we're in the middle of nowhere here. Sounds very altruistic. Like the disciples are really concerned about the crowd. But I'm willing to bet they were pretty tired and hungry themselves. Beginning to wonder what they were going to eat and where they were going to sleep amidst all these people. They only had five loaves and two fish among themselves, remember. Now, John says it was a little boy with his packed lunch. Luke doesn't tell us that. It doesn't say where the five loaves and two fish came from. Which means either they'd sussed out that there was not much to go around and they knew that they were going to be pretty hungry themselves or the five loaves and two fish were all that left over after they'd had their lunch. Thank you very much. But in any event, today has clearly been Jesus' show rather than theirs. So they come to him and say, send them away. We can't do anything for this crowd. Let them go and find something to eat and somewhere to stay and then we can sort ourselves out. But Jesus' answer spells out the inherent danger of asking him to do something for somebody else. Because he says, no, you give them something to eat. You do it. The people are hungry. It's your job to feed them. 
that's a whole new area for the disciples. They'd seen the kingdom bringing healing to sick people. They'd seen the kingdom bringing deliverance for people suffering from spiritual oppression. Now, they were going to see the kingdom feeding the hungry as well. See, Jesus isn't just concerned with the salvation of our souls, as if getting us safely to heaven is the only thing that matters. Jesus is concerned for every aspect of our well-being, our health, our relationships, whether we have enough to eat. God, as king, is concerned for the well-being of his subjects. Belonging to his kingdom brings with it immense benefits. Now, in the UK over the past 50 years, you might think we've enjoyed many of those benefits, even though the church has drastically reduced. Thank you very much. By and large, we have enough to eat. By and large, we have good health care. And despite the prevalence of Harry Potter, there is not a great deal of demonic oppression in the UK at the moment. What need, then, of the kingdom? And though aggressive secularists might dispute this, the truth is that many of the benefits we now enjoy, and maybe take a little bit for granted, are a legacy of the Christian heritage of this country that goes back over a period of centuries. Except that we can see that things are beginning to fray a little bit around the edges. We're told that the NHS is in crisis, partly because accident and emergency departments are under too much pressure, particularly as a result of the New Year revelries this year. The NHS has provided a kind of safety net for a population that doesn't get enough sleep, doesn't do enough exercise, doesn't eat enough fruit and vegetables, or drink enough water to stay healthy. And drinking too much alcohol is no compensation for that, needless to say. Last year, over 900,000 people needed help from a food bank, half of them because of delays or changes to their benefits. Last year, 5,500 people were admitted to hospital suffering from malnutrition in the UK. And partly as a result of of shortage of of money, people are buying cheaper, calorie-heavy food, uh, with the result that if people are eating, they're eating food that isn't good for them, so many people are struggling with issues of of obesity. 90% of people in prisons suffer from some kind of mental health condition. Four people in every thousand engage in some kind of self-harm. One in five older people who live in the community suffer from depression. And that statistic doubles for those in care homes. One in four people who suffer from mental health problems have had no contact with their families. And one in three have no contact with any friends. Yes, despite all the benefits of being in the UK... We do need the kingdom. And into this situation of need, God has placed his church. Those commissioned with the task of proclaiming and making known the good news of God's kingdom. At a national level, the Trussell Trust operates over 400 food banks in the UK. It's a Christian charity which works in partnership with churches and local communities to address the issues of food poverty. In 1943, the Methodists founded MHA, an organisation with the mission of improving the quality of life for older people, inspired by Christian concern. They run over 200 retirement homes, as well as projects that enable older people to stay at home. And their work is resourced by 4,000 volunteers drawn from the churches. And some reports suggest that people who pray and attend church regularly are likely to live longer and be in better health and to volunteer more of their time than those who don't. 
at a local level, I've, I've mentioned Horsham Matters already, there is the Debt Advice Bureau, there are other things that the churches operate together to facilitate in Horsham, and as well, the work that the church does as a body, here in Brighton Road, and the other church bodies in different places, and as well the work that we do as individuals, as those who are followers of Jesus Christ. That's not to say that churches are all a bed of roses, as far as people are concerned. Many people who attend church still say that they feel lonely, though maybe church eases what would otherwise be a far worse situation. And it has to be said that churches are only just beginning to get to grips with understanding and offering effective support to those struggling with mental health issues. Yet I do want to assert very clearly that in what many people label a post-Christian society, the church has a vital role to play. And that extends beyond giving people something to do on a Sunday morning. And the trouble with saying the church is we, we kind of mentally picture an institution. When I say the church, it means us. All of us here today. All of us listening elsewhere. We continue to have a role of making people aware of the good news of the kingdom of God and the difference that makes in our lives. Accepting the reign of God in our lives can bring a greater degree of wholeness at the level of our health and the level of our relationships. I'm aware that to make such a claim sounds dangerously simplistic, as if saying, believe in Jesus and everything will be better. It's not as simple as that. But the kingdom of God does make a difference. It does make an impact on people's lives. And our role as the church is to implement that change and enable people to discover it for themselves. Never underestimate the change that entering the kingdom of God can make in someone's life. The unexpected dimension that can come. I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. I talk about my father from time to time. He's dead and gone now. Um... He, he became a Christian unexpectedly when he was a very, very sick man living in a, in a real dump of a flat. And uh, the future looked pretty bleak for him, actually. Um, but within a year of his becoming a Christian, unexpectedly, or would it have happened anyway, you, you don't know, but the council were going to refurbish his block of flats. So they moved him next door uh, to the top flat where there was a terrace where he could pot around and do a bit of gardening, and he kind of had this kind of reconciliation with my mother, and lived out the closing months of his life with a greater degree of peace than you ever would have believed possible at that time for him. And that's always stayed with me, is that you look at someone's situation and think, that is just such a disaster. And yet the kingdom of God coming into someone's life can make a difference. So just allow for that possibility. Don't underestimate the difference that God can make in someone's life if they enter his kingdom. So let me end by making this point. The good news of the kingdom is all about letting God take charge of our lives, of who we are and how we live, and allowing that to impact on others. The challenge is this. If God is not in control of your life, then who is? Or what is? Maybe you think you are, but if you're struggling and it's all getting a little bit too much, then God is willing and able to take over and bring his kingdom into your heart. But if God isn't in charge and you aren't in charge, then who is? I'm not sure I would want to sign control of my life over to anyone else 
than God, whose steadfast love and faithfulness make him completely trustworthy. If anyone else is running your life, you are still in a position to ask God to take over. And that is always an invitation he is glad to accept. No one's life is too insignificant. No one's life is beyond redemption. God sent Jesus to save each and every one of us and bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. A kingdom marked by freedom and love and truth and peace and life. Sometimes it takes a long time for God to sort out the mess our lives have got in and our relationships have got in. But when the Spirit is working within us, he builds his kingdom in our lives and through the church in our communities. Whatever your agenda is for the coming year, that's God's agenda for us and for Horsham. So at the start of this year, why not sign your life over to him? Invite him to establish his throne in your heart and live and work as a member of his church for his kingdom and see what a difference that might make to you and to those around you in 2015. Let's pray. Lord, when we said the Lord's Prayer, we prayed, Your kingdom come, your will be done. May your kingdom come first in our hearts, Lord. Take your rightful place on the throne of our lives. Establish control over our desires, our thoughts, our feelings. We offer you our plans. our hopes, our fears. Govern our relationships. Give us grace to forgive and to seek forgiveness. Give us peace and love and patience and understanding. Enable us to go the extra mile for people we wouldn't normally want to bother with. Help us to see people through your eyes. To see situations through your eyes. To recognise the potential that the kingdom brings for change for the better. Lord, you did so much with five loaves and two fishes. We offer you our time, our gifts, ourselves. Would you transform us? Enrich the lives of others through us. So that in our hearts and through your church in this town, your kingdom might come and your will be done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.